we are uh, we're getting married. Who who is getting married? You and I. You and I are getting married. Yes. We are getting married. We are getting married. Yes. Can't fight a can't fight a love like ours. So uh, uh, are we good? Welcome to You Should See the Other Guy, the podcast where we watch a romantic comedy featuring a love triangle and tell you why the protagonist, or near protagonist in this case, made the wrong choice. Today we have a guest who chose our movie for this week, Ms. Abby Montiel. Abby Montiel. She is an entertainment fellow at Insider who has decided out of all the rom-coms in the land to discuss the cinematic masterpiece, The Proposal. Abby, we are so happy to have you on the show. Hello. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, I guess, for picking this movie. (laughs) This is Samantha, by the way. And that was Sadie introducing Abby. And now everyone is fully and properly introduced. Oh, I'm Jennifer. Oh, God. start over or samantha you think this is raw and real enough for our audience i think it's an endearing sort of messiness and i feel like the proposal too is an endearing sort of messiness it's not the worst rom-com in the world it's not the best it's a little messy and rough around the edges and i generally enjoyed my time with it uh even if i have problems with it (laughs) And the task has fallen to me to summarize the proposal. So I'll be I'll be quick. I'll get us in and out of this thing, and then we can get to chatting. So the proposal <laughs> released into the cultural hellscape that was the year 2009 is a lighthearted workplace comedy about deportation and forced marriage. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, a.k.a. Andrew Paxton, works as an assistant for high-profile New York City book editor Sandra Bullock, a.k.a. Margaret Tate, who hails from Canada and whose visa is about to expire. Rather than lose her position of prestige, Margaret forces Andrew to get engaged to her by essentially threatening to blacklist him within the industry where all his hopes and aspirations lie. However, to prove that their love is real to a skeptical INS agent, they have to fly to Sitka, Alaska for a family weekend with Ryan, his hot mom, uh, Oh, a family weekend with Andrew Paxton. Sorry. His hot mom, Mary Steenbergen, (laughs) his dad, Craig T. Nelson, and national treasure, Betty White. Over the course of the weekend, Margaret learns sort of to be less uptight and to be looser and more emotionally vulnerable, culminating in a truly unhinged performance of Little John's Get Low. (laughs) Andrew, in the meantime, deals with his disapproving father. The INS agent pokes his head back into the proceedings to raise the stakes a little bit. And there is, for our purposes today, an other girl, a hometown hottie with a grandma's name, Gertrude, (laughs) played by Malin Ackerman. We learned that she broke up with Andrew when he left for the Big Apple to make it big in publishing. Against all odds, though, and with very little characterization, Andrew falls in love with his boss, but she ultimately leaves him stranded at the altar because she feels guilty about using him for a green card in front of his aging grandma. And then even though Betty White fakes a heart attack to try to stage a last-minute airport reunion... Andrew doesn't get on Margaret's plane back to New York, but it doesn't matter at all because in a strange bit of screenwriting, he just flies back to the city right after that and proposes there instead of on the plane. And so none of the whole heart attack stuff actually mattered. 
she says yes. And then in the end credit scene, which shows snippets of an IS, INS interview, we learn more about either of these characters than we did in the previous 90 minutes. <laughs> and that is the proposal. So, so Abby, when, when we asked you to come on the podcast and we said, pick any rom-com of the thousands that have been made, why, why this one? Why the proposal? Um, I feel like it kind of picked me. So I was in middle school <laughs> and it was before streaming. So the 15 movies that I think my family had were kind of my exposure to cinema and all of that. And one night my best friend came over and she said, you have to watch this movie. And so we watched The Proposal, which is a little baby, hadn't gotten to see more yet. And listen, I love the fake relationship trope. It carried me through my very awkward adolescence on its back. Um, So I enjoyed that. And I really wanted to do publishing before I got into journalism. And for some reason, I looked at Sandra Bullock, like, not that convincingly playing like a Meryl Streep and Devil Wears Prada with like emotional repression and designer clothing working in New York. And I was like, I took the entirely wrong message. I was like, I want what she has. And I was like, anything with Betty White is good. So yeah, I think this was kind of my entry point into the genre. So it's only gone uphill for the most part, which is great. But I needed to re-examine it. And wow, there is a lot to talk about, <laughs> I think. How did it hold up under scrutiny of present day viewing? Um, I love Kevin the dog, feminist icon Kevin. Me too. <laughs> what kind of dog is that? Would I'm love not even that was my sure. Take. But he looks like a like a great samoyed or something, but he's tiny yeah. and like small and fluffy. The ideal package, but like great landscapes, beautiful landscapes. <laughs> you and Sadie and your landscapes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I worry that we need to watch out for y'all that like you're going to fall in love with an unsuitable person just because you happen to be standing in a nice place when <laughs> it happens. <laughs> If that doesn't happen for me, I'll be shocked. <laughs> yeah. If we go to like a mountain resort, I'll marry the first person. I'm ready. <laughs> the landscapes weren't even real. This was filmed in Massachusetts with like skyboxes and green screens. <laughs> it was pretty obvious the only time that really I was like wow that the matte painting in the back was so strong was after he fished her well after they take off in a boat because she starts to realize that he and his family are real people and that their actions might have consequences and so they race off in a boat. I, I, how was she making the boat go that fast? Like, did she know the switch to make the boat go faster? There's not a pedal like a car. I don't, anyway, but she lets go of the wheel and he hits a buoy and she falls in the water and then he pulls her back into the boat. And then there was a very beautiful but strongly artificial looking matte painting after that. Yeah. It's about the tenderness. <laughs> and that sweater she was wearing in that scene was great with the wolf crocheted yeah, on the back. Beautiful. I do think this falls into kind of the subgenre of this movie would be like 15 minutes long if 
the family wasn't obscenely rich. Yeah. She's like, oh, I will start respecting you because you have a really nice house. <laughs> like, what if they had just been a normal Alaskan I, family? I wondered that too. Like, I don't care about your grandma. <laughs> so they must be doing yeah. something right. <laughs> that made the the end point of uh, where she gets some humanity at the ending by she uh, meets Sandra Bullock, not Betty White. And she's like, I've been on my own since I was 16. I've had to fend for myself. I'm a real person and you're a rich dude, you know, sort of like feeling. And like, girl, you wear a pencil skirt to pack up your office, like when you're (laughs) fired and deported to another country. Anyway. Central Park West. (laughs) Aspirational. (laughs) Once again, like Leap Year, another movie in which the female protagonist has a completely inappropriate choice of footwear for her destination (laughs) and sleepwear yeah that was noted (laughs) no robe the baby maker as well i love the oh wow (laughs) leap years louis the the suitcase is the proposal's baby maker (laughs) the baby maker is a blanket listening audience like a it wasn't knitted how was that blanket made i don't anyway the baby maker is a blanket Yeah, just before we get too far down this road of discussing it without clarifying that. (laughs) Much better than all of the abstinence things I got at Catholic school. The baby maker was much more effective. Horrifying. (laughs) Yeah, this was a very cool mom situation where you bring your fiance home and she's just like, there's your bedroom. And grandma's like, make us some babies. There's no no awkwardness at all in this household about, you know, premarital shacking up. It does remind me, I don't know if you guys saw the last season of The Bachelor. That was my most recent emotional (laughs) support train wreck. But it reminds me a lot of Pilot Pete's mom when the entire home were yes barb was like yeah our son fucks deal with it and that was very like her and betty white i think that barb and betty white's character they would be friends i feel like mary steenbergen could play a barb uh the who mary steenbergen who plays the mom in this movie Mm -hmm. film adaptation I don't know that the last season of The Bachelor <laughs> warrants a, very, a film adaptation, and yet I want to see it. A very bad film adaptation. <laughs> oh, I want an explanation. I I really need an explanation for that shit. So they need to get on that film <laughs> adaptation. Like, <laughs> Sadie, I'm so glad that you have chosen to bring on a guest who will lean on you about watching The Bachelor along with us. Now that Samantha <sighs> Peer pressured me into watching it. <laughs> join us i'm surrounded <laughs> this was my first season so i've been told oh damn it's girl. B- it between that and when i came out that i've never heard like it gets better so often equally monumental events in your life definitely <laughs> Well, congratulations on both fronts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and now to talk about the proposal of the bastion of heterosexuality circa 2009. What is strange, though, the friend that introduced me to that also ended up being queer. And I was talking to Sadie. I don't know if it was just like queer te- tweens for some reason loved this movie. I don't know if it's like the balance of like tenderness and repression that's in like enemies to lovers and fake dating, but 
There's probably not a reading, but I think there kind of was for me. (laughs) Bizarre. What was the trope you called it? The fake relationship? trope yeah. I feel like that's got a queer sort of appeal oh, to it definitely like yeah. the mix of kind of yeah the mix of like fluff and angst <laughs> like it's not the best example here but it was enough to get the job done <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah and also being around and getting to know each other's family members under at least slightly falsified pretenses having to keep secrets once you're around you know each other and guys I'm gonna go ahead and say this here I was gonna save this for later in the discussion but my big takeaway from this was again another queer parallel that Ryan Reynolds in this movie is really suffering from a problem that I don't know I've ever seen quite depicted this way with a heterosexual cis man and cis woman being the that he is confused about whether he wants to be her or fuck her oh my god (laughs) wow damn so i I had a friend in grad school who called that the doobie complex what you know Ah. do you want to do them or do you want to be them and that's stuck with me ever since and I didn't put it. I'm so glad we're like jumping straight into a queer reading of the proposal. I didn't expect this, and I'm delighted. I love it here. <laughs> it kind of reminds me. <laughs> I think it was that. Um, it was that saying, and I think it was about like male like queerness. Like you construct intricate rituals that allow you to touch the skin of other men. But in this case, the other man is Sandra Bullock, and I think that's like beautiful. <laughs> In that reading. <laughs> <laughs> There's also interesting gender role stuff going on here where yeah, like Sandra Bullock is cast in the typically masculine role and Andrew Paxton is in a subservient position to her and I feel like you gender swap one of these characters and my interest in the movie would intensify like 3,000%. Even more horrifying. (laughs) (laughs) The scene where they're giving their different renditions of their proposal story, that says more about like gender roles and gender expectations than any queer studies professor could ever articulate. (laughs) Like... (laughs) The way that they keep swapping back and forth and like saying a completely non-gender related like aspect of the story, but it's coded to be something opposite than what they're supposed to be. And so they're switching back and forth and it's like this weird battle that's going on where she's trying to make him out to be like a considerate person. And he's like, no, 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 I'm doing something masculine. It's not, it wasn't like that. And then he flips around and it's... (laughs) It's wild and so interesting. It's in many ways the most erotic scene of the film because she's like (laughs) doming him in front of his whole family (laughs) without anyone knowing it. This entire town. Yeah. (laughs) All 50 rich people who live there. And And Oscar from The Office. She is telling them about how he filled a box with hand-cut confetti. That detail stuck with me, y'all. She also said the box was covered with small pictures of him. That was kind of weird, but the hand-cut confetti was repeated twice. A decoupage. (laughs) That he made. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was going to say, I also think it's very queer in the sense that I think one of the most romantic scenes was just him like holding her and like rubbing her up and down so she doesn't get like pneumonia or whatever after falling into the Alaskan waters. Yes, and girl. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There's were... not a lot of like rom-com sexiness apart from that weird like shower scene. Yeah, I think that's also why because there wasn't a lot of that kind of cliche rom-com sexiness and a lot of it was just about the yearning so somewhere in my like adolescent brain I was like okay for some reason this is clicking I don't know if I need Ryan Reynolds to like be there but it's giving me the correct vibes and yeah (laughs) no like Samantha you bring up something too about there were I believe three scenes of where they were just comforting each other gently touching each other like that you know like Abby mentions the yearning and the first was after we'll we'll get into the flaws of this movie in a moment because I have a lot to say about that (laughs) but First, I want to say the where they're out on the yard and they're, this is earlier on where she's just been introduced to his family the night before and they don't want to look like they're fighting, which they are in front of his, his mother and grandmother watching through the window. So he hugs her and holds her and rubs her back. And then he touches her ass again at that point for the, like, after a couple I of times. I did not remember, yeah. did not remember all of the non-consensual ass touching in this right? And we'll get to that. <laughs> and then when he first starts to realize that he actually, instead of like sublimating all of his attraction into hatred, that he is recognizing a little bit, partly because he has like a just woke up in the morning boner and prob- whatever is going on. Anyway, they're trying to act normal in front of his mother who strangely busts into their room with a breakfast tray and then she leaves and then Ryan Reynolds is upset and Sandra Bullock is comforting him. But again, in a non boner touching way, like she's holding his shoulders and like rubbing him. And that is when like some more of the genuine affection comes through. And I felt the chemistry between the two of them in those moments much more than I did. I did not really sense a lot of strong Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds like, oh, I want to make out and throw each other on the ground chemistry right now. Definitely. And I I think they've been friends for a really, really long time. So it comes out a lot more naturally in those moments when they're just kind of comforting each other or they have a little bit of a rapport going on. But when they get down to the romance, not the same. And it shows. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think the dialogue did a very good job of convincing us that they love each other. But in those little moments of like touching each other, that kind of thing, there was some spark there. But then the writing was just kind of like Sandra Bullock would just do some list of facts about herself. And that would be a substitute for like being vulnerable or like having a personality or something. (laughs) Once I ate a snow cone (laughs) on a peninsula. (laughs) Come on. I'm sorry. So before we get to the topic of Gertrude, um, I want to pitch to you, pitch the room, the question, is Ryan Reynolds a good actor? Like, I mean... (laughs) let's talk about it because i we've we've watched several ryan reynolds rom-coms we also watched just friends and paired with um my knowledge of deadpool just from existing in in the current time he is the exact same person 
in all of these. I think I've repressed most of his film roles, which kind of says all you need to say about his acting. It does seem very one note. Yeah. I like him better in this movie than I do in Just Friends, because in Just Mm -hmm. Friends, he's in the position of power. He's really mean to Anna Faris, and it's just kind of like a hot guy being mean and I don't like that. But in this movie, he's not in, he's in the subservient position. He's in this like impossible position of like mirroring his boss so that he can keep working and publishing. And so the meanness feels less mean. I agree. I can definitely buy simp Ryan Reynolds much more than like in a position (laughs) of power. For some reason, I'm just like this, this fits. Yeah. Oh, young guest, please teach me simp. What, what is simp? I am so old. Please help me understand. So I need to Google it to make sure I get it right. I don't trust myself. (laughs) A simp is a man that puts himself in a submissive position under women in hopes of winning them over without the female bringing anything to the table. Okay, Urban Dictionary. But like, that is the proposal. <laughs> Andrew Paxton is a simp. Yes. Someone read that okay. Urban Dictionary entry and they were like, what if we just made an entire movie out of this? This is like rich Alaskan discontented simp, the movie. Yeah. And Betty White was like, sign me up. Can a simp be a trad husband? <laughs> Or are they mutually exclusive? The Venn diagram. (laughs) (laughs) It was very interesting that they introduced this whole dynamic of Ryan Reynolds' father being very discontented that he is a simp in this movie. (laughs) And he wants Ryan Reynolds to be this breadwinner like himself and like build giant mansions that you have to take a boat to get to from the local airport in Alaska himself. But instead he wants to do a different career. So he moved to New York and placed himself in like a subservient position to a woman in another industry. And Ryan Reynolds' dad was really pissed about that. And that was the big conflict between them until finally uh, Mary Steenburgen and Betty White explained to the dad that he was being an idiot at the Mm -hmm. end and he just suddenly got over it. (laughs) I (laughs) want No, go ahead, Samantha. I want to, f- I, I don't know if I should say it. <laughs> oh, now we got to hear it. Go, go, okay, go. I, I want to float a theory while we're okay. doing queer readings of the movie that involves yeah. me teaching so you all some slang. Um, Ooh, so like in this. the transgender community, we have a slang term called egg that we use to refer to male assigned at birth people who have not yet accepted that they're trans women who are still in the closet. And so we we can spot certain eggs in the wild from certain kind of like grooming cues or like mannerisms or that kind of thing. And then you say, I wonder when that egg will hatch or, you know, if you befriend oh a God. person like that and they come out to you, you say, I cracked the egg, that kind of thing. <laughs> and I don't wow. want to say that just because <laughs> Andrew Paxton like is a sensitive soul who wants to write books and like you know, doesn't want to be a macho lumberjack oh like Craig T. Nelson, the that proposal. he oh has to be trans. But 
I think there could be an egg situation here. I get egg yeah. vibes off Andrew Paxton. The proposal is lesbian film. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds want to wear the pencil skirts. <laughs> that would make the whole like lesbianness of this relationship make sense to me. Yes. If he had showed up in that final scene in a pencil skirt, I could have forgiven all the screenwriting issues. Play here. <laughs> wow. We still have some racism issues. However, oh, for sure. the queer oh issues my God. would be resolved with Topped a simple things, pencel skirt. Topton things I forgot about. Um, the racism, sis. <laughs> In this movie. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, Ooh. Ramon's character overall. I... Yeah. <laughs> Ramon is the other guy. <laughs> I Yikes. I felt bad for Oscar Nunez for, like... Oh, my God. Just for Oscar Nunez. I know this was a big paycheck for him. I know that, like, this was a big chance to, like, take some of the success of The Office and turn it into a film career. And the writers just fucked him over with this, like, character caricature of a role i think so hard <laughs> yeah it was i he was one of three brown people who i remembered appearing in the movie that i watched within the last two hours the first was fired by sandra bullock within the first 10 minutes of the movie the second was hustled out of an immigration office in handcuffs while speaking spanish and the third was Ramon, as he was titled in Alaska, appearing in four separate jobs as a caterer, stripper, general store clerk, and marriage officiate. Yeah, the U.S.'s relationship with Latin America is like the silent elephant in the room of this movie, because <laughs> Margaret <laughs> yes. Tate is like, I'm not one of those bad immigrants. I'm I'm a cool immigrant. <laughs> I'm yeah. from Canada. <laughs> yeah, when she says she's not even an immigrant. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> we we say we say that there were only like three peripheral brown characters but what so were they trying to say that Betty White and Ergo the whole family were um native alaskan sadie i'm so glad you brought this up <laughs> because i want to address <laughs> that <laughs> because <laughs> wow what uh betty white did have a scene where she talked about what her great grandmother i believe being native native uh, native alaskan and her great grandfather being russian but this was given to us after we saw Betty White in the forest in a feathered headdress dancing around a fire, like making a bunch of syllables that were captioned as foreign language. And then Sandra Bullock enters and starts chanting Lil John and Eastside Boys classic hit to the window, to the wall, you know. And uh, um, yeah, yeah, that occurred in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even the fact that she had a native Alaskan grandmother, I feel like is said so quickly, and they never really get into those spiritual beliefs. So it just, it comes off as kind of a mockery either way. And yeah. I did like some of those Sandra Bullock dance moves in any other context would be a bright spot of the movie for me. But... <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> I feel like there are other ways to make Betty White eccentric and uniquely Alaskan. Oh, plenty. <laughs> I feel like we should have seen 
Betty White and Sandra Bullock perform Get Low, as I mistitled by just saying some of the lyrics a moment ago before I Googled it, uh, it like at the, the male stripper scene or something, instead of yes. like attempting to, yeah, mimic a native ritual or, uh, it, yeah, it was just really ugly. Also, you guys, I am uh, like, sidebar, Google says that the lyrics to this song are 369 stand real fine instead of uh, I, I have grown up my entire life uh, grinding at this at my high school senior prom to 369 damn you fine like you know I stand real fine is that like cleaned up for google like what it's like a kid's kid's bop version <laughs> like yeah like kid's bop, kids bop. What, I, is that what they're saying all this time <laughs> so two things one we have to talk about gertrude at some point and two jen i need your cover of that song immediately (laughs) (laughs) for copyright issues it cannot be on this podcast but (laughs) we'll link it as a as an mp3 file to anyone who asks <laughs> black market covers of get low watch my instagram stories tonight <laughs> well shall we talk about gertie gertrude malin ackerman yeah there's not much to say sure. um she she's more of like a spiritual guide for um Maggie, Sandra Bullock and also Andrew at the end like it's like we never really see her with Ryan Reynolds except like at the very beginning when they were like oh hi like you know awkward at the party and then the rest of the time it's just them talking separately to Gertrude and like revealing personal truths within themselves (laughs) like uncovering (laughs) uncovering their feelings yes it's free therapy yeah (laughs) she almost seemed like anti-simp propaganda because she was like oh no he was a great guy like he like took charge in our relationship and then he broke up with me because he wanted to follow his dreams where the andrew we see is very like subservient well hold up though his following his dreams was sparked off at least according to gertrude's version because she turned down (laughs) his proposal when they finished up their college years because he wanted to elope with her and move to New York to follow his dreams. And she said no. Okay, partially anti. <laughs> <laughs> Only after she said no. He was trying. <laughs> I think I'm getting the hang of the simp thing. I'm hearing it in context. <laughs> I'm understanding it. Yeah. I'm slowly almost, coming around on the turn. How do I, how do I mute you, Samantha? <laughs> I can't believe I forgot the proposal detail from someone who was in maybe three scenes. She was almost more of like a character, like a stand-in character. Like she gave kind of Andrew character development we didn't really see. Like we got some more of his background apart from his, like who he is outside of his family. And yeah. Mm -hmm. She was set up to be romantic competition, but no romantic competition scene ever really came through. (laughs) And I kind of wanted one a little bit. I felt like that would have been an interesting way to explore Sandra, aka Margaret's like emerging feelings. Yeah, swap out the Native American scene for like a few scenes of her and Andrew and some jealousy there. (laughs) (laughs) I it would have been nice. 
it would have been nice to see some jealousy from Andrew to, to see some maybe deciding he like he has to decide between Maggie and Gertrude. And maybe that would have let us see that he actually wants to be with Maggie and he's not just kind of resigned to it. Because if he chooses her, then that makes it a little bit more like, yeah, yeah, I can see it happening. Yeah, you know, it was preordained. Mm hmm. But she because was- he he was forced to be honest at the very beginning. <laughs> it you know later on Andrew mentions like no you didn't force me to do anything I agreed to this no honey you did not <laughs> at the very beginning she was like yeah you can choose you can choose to be kicked out into the streets without a job in New York City. Or you can marry me. Your decision. Yeah. Major (laughs) workplace abuse vibes. Oh, Lord. Wait, put a pin in that. We're coming back to workplace issues in a minute. But on the subject of Gertrude, again, I want to fulfill the purposes of our stated mission for this podcast and argue for her. And she seems great. Gertrude's main qualities are that she is very pretty and has very skinny eyebrows. Gorgeous. But- yeah. Swedish. Swedish her eyebrows butchered to give Sandra Bullock an unfair advantage in this movie <laughs> and also the fashions of 2009. But no, I really think that she serves just to prop up our queer reading more. That because there there was no tension there, there was no competition because we assumed when Gertrude walks onto the scene that Andrew is still going to be interested in her or that she's going to cause some competition there because she's very beautiful. But he had already rejected the Gertrude life or after she rejected him, uh, as we were told. But it, she was just there to be a foil to his, uh, what did you call it? A doobie, Samantha, earlier with Sandra Bullock. He he's doobying with this high powered publishing career woman. And every little scene we see about Gertrude, the only thing we see of her life outside of appearing at a party and being in the bar where Ramon was being a stripper is that she is literally walking around this Alaska town with a flock of small children following her like ducklings. She's just set up there to represent the life that he could have chosen, you know, this very heterosexual, cis, uh, you know, aspirational life of marrying the girl he was with through high school and college who apparently is a school teacher or does something where she's walking around with like 20 children alone in the middle of the day. (laughs) She's the Alaskan equivalent of like the Madeline books or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I would say now for arguing in her favor, as Sadie said, her being a spiritual guide like unendlessly supporting of everyone around her weirdly like uh, completely, you know, disregarding whatever her own emotions may be if she does experience them. That does kind of recommend her as a partner. Yeah, much healthier long term. <laughs> For, I'll, 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 I'll go in and make the case. I think that Gertie was the right choice at this specific moment when he realizes that Margaret has committed to buy his book, but she's already gone back to New York. He can, t- he can just take that deal. His book gets published. Margaret goes back to Canada. He stays in Sitka and becomes a famous author and gets back with Gertrude. Neat, tidy, 
everyone's happy except for Margaret Tate. And maybe she doesn't deserve to be happy because she tried to coerce an employee into marriage. (laughs) And she was so awful to him for years beforehand. And apparently everyone else in the office, like everyone keeps updating that weird little chat that everyone's a part of except for the bosses. So, I mean, they call her the witch. That she's, like, on her broom. Do they not expect her to come in every morning? Like... (laughs) (laughs) Apparently not. (laughs) I was wondering about that. Have have, have none of these people worked a job where you have to look fake busy before? Because they are all terrible at it. Like, why is it such a struggle? Why is it a rush? Yeah, it's such a niche industry as well. And they ended up there. But I do like to imagine a 2020 version where... Somehow Andrew gets an article in the cut or something exposing (laughs) the horrific (laughs) state of New York publishing assistance, a la kind of like the Caroline Calloway ghostwriter. And then he is able to, I think the real match of this movie, if he weren't blacklisted, would be Andrew and a fucking LinkedIn account. Because Jesus Christ, he needs a new publishing job. (laughs) Like, damn. Wow, y'all, this makes me want to do a follow up like we did. For the ugly truth with my friend who is a publisher who fled New York for Arkansas. I, I want to, she worked the Andrew position for years and then went freelance. Uh, <laughs> I want that take. Yeah, journalist. I mean, I think rom-coms have a lot of like journalistic and publishing ethics. Like it would be great for an ethics class, this genre. Maybe one of the more honest films about exploitative <laughs> practices within publishing and journalism than than other rom-coms, which have a very glossy, sanitized view of what it's like to work at a magazine. Maybe so. Can we also talk for just an instant, can we just please talk about this trope of, I, I too, I love the enemies to lovers. I love there's only one bed. That is probably my favorite trope. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. And you know what? They did. There's only one bed in this and they didn't even really take much advantage of it. That's Damn. true. Only the scene where they burst in. Yeah. I don't think they even had the conversation. Yeah, there could have been a moment where she's like, you can get in the bed. You know, I, I, not to not to give another yeah. point to leap year, but <laughs> <laughs> right? that did happen. Oh, Sadie. Yeah. That was, to go back and retroactively give you credit for Leap Year, because I know we bust on Leap Year way more often, (laughs) that was absolutely the hottest scene in Leap Year. But (laughs) I was super stressed because I was so afraid they were going to just start doing it and there was no mention or evidence of a condom there. So I was, and that always like freaks me out in movies. So I just I just watched Mulholland Drive, another one bed situation. Beautiful. (laughs) It's a great formula. They should have used it. It is horrible, though. Like, her and Andrew, I don't... I'm gonna give the screenwriters credit. Maybe it was off screen. But they don't even have the conversation about who's taking the bed. And he has some He has some more blackmail leverage over her because she could get deported. So I would just ask for the damn bed for four days. He doesn't even go for the futon. No, on the ground. He loves being domed by Sandra Bullock so much. He just went straight <laughs> for the ground. Straight yes. for the ground. One blanket. He did not put like a soft covering beneath him. He, he was just like hard... Gertrude could never Gertrude couldn't dom him like that like is it healthy no does he like it egg yes egg egg. Gertrude knows he's an egg (laughs) 
<laughs> and doesn't want to out him to Margaret Tate. She wouldn't out anyone. She's nice. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> See, if you peel back the layers of the proposal that are probably mostly in our brains... It's fascinating. <laughs> this, this is true. I love our layers of our brains. I think <laughs> we could do a modern update. I think a 2020 version of this could explore all sorts of things. <laughs> this yes. was wasted on 2009. <laughs> okay, y'all, though. I love the, I love enemies to lovers. I love fake relationship. I love only one bed. However, a trope that needs to die a quick and fast death is at least in 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 current day situation marriage of convenience it's gotta go this thing about immigration like yeah my my sister-in-law is from another country and one of my cousins also married a guy from europe and like whoa like the amount of people that i meet walking around in america all the time who staggeringly think that like Oh, if you just get married, you've got a green card. Like, guys, that is not it. Definitely. (laughs) And not in the way, like, that this man is going to chase you to Alaska in a suit to try to prove that you're falsifying a relationship. Like, in a tragic, we're going to set you... Uh, an appointment that is in your state, which is very long, Tennessee, but you know, nine hours away and you have no, you can't reschedule this. You have to be there. You have to undertake this at your own expense, regardless of your job. And you better be there to make this interview or you're fucked. And like, you know, imagine those times, multiples and like tons of paperwork, incredibly expensive immigration lawyers and all of that just to get the simplest, like, you know, y'all can keep hanging out together in your country. Like, you know, <laughs> that's more what we're working with here. Yeah. Like yeah. The, the immigration agent doesn't fly to your family weekend to engage in playful banter with you over your possible arrest. Yeah. And I think definitely because it seems like the immigration plot line is just used to prop up the kind of taming of the shrew that's going on here, where at first she thinks it's a marriage of convenience because it's apparently that easy to continue her career. But then she hears the story from Betty White about, oh, well, it's about having a family. So she talked about (laughs) losing her family and she's soft now because she reads Wuthering Heights. So we're going to keep using (laughs) the complicated American immigration system so she can be a nice person yeah. yeah i mean i get wanting betty white as your grandma and to oh, live in that sure. house like like i you know oh can we talk about the part where she tries to trade the <laughs> yes. adorable dog to the eagle <laughs> samantha you yeah. tell you warned me about this samantha warned me to not <laughs> let my small dog see a particular scene in this movie and now she shall describe it to us so sandra bullock is talking on her cell phone with one of her big time authors who she needs to persuade to go on oprah or something even though i'm sure that would be in, in his contract but um she <laughs> her cell phone gets stolen by an eagle and then she trades uh andrew's family's small dog she offers to trade it to sacrifice it to the eagle in exchange for her phone back and that was that was evil that was like beyond just characterizing her as like oh she's really into working all the time it was malicious and wrong yeah Yeah. that was like not only 
Okay, not only, Samantha, did the eagle snatch her phone. First, the eagle snatched the dog. Yes. And the eagle just by luck dropped the dog. And it it strangely was not pierced through with a talon. And this being some tragic scene where she's holding a bleeding to death under 10 pound dog (laughs) in the yard of these people who love it. But instead, the eagle swoops in and steals her phone. And then she begs the eagle to come back. Like extensively. It's not just a moment. It's like a whole like five minute dancing scene around the yard. She tries to tempt the eagle to come back or the hawk and take the dog instead of her phone. See, it is another publishing industry lesson because look what happens. <laughs> look what insane. happens when you don't draw up a good author contract. <laughs> a poor innocent <laughs> dog. <laughs> You try. You end up trying to strike yeah. Faustian bargains with Alaskan yes. eagles. <laughs> yeah. Next time it could be your dog. <laughs> I think this speaks to some of my issues with it, and I'm definitely curious about Sadie's thoughts too, as the, as a rom com fiend. But I feel like they're trying to cram too many rom com tropes into like one movie, and if they had just picked two or three of them to really focus on and flesh out it would have worked. Like, do you want this to be about how she can't unplug from her job? Do you want it to be about how she doesn't have a big family and is adjusting to what it's like to be around a lot of family members? Do we want it to be the taming of the shrew? Do we want you like, (laughs) it it feels like it's trying to be seven things at once and kind of like 60% good at each of those things. Would you like me to weigh in? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. We're all waiting with bated breath, Sadie. (laughs) I think that having all of those tropes thrown together makes for a kind of a memorable movie. I feel like I, I, the proposal is burned into my brain. There are so many scenes that are so like out there and like weird, like the Betty White dancing around the fire scene and you know, and the the trying to sacrifice Kevin to the eagle gods <laughs> so she can have her phone back. Um, and the publishing mixed with the, he actually is an Alaskan Kennedy kind of thing. It's very memorable, but it doesn't make for a good movie at all because there's so much happening. And it's very stereotypical rom-com to throw all of that together, but it it, it doesn't really make for a, a quality it's a bad screenwriting move in my opinion but i would like to hear abby's thoughts as well yeah i would definitely agree i think if they'd picked a few they could have really leaned into that and actually fleshed out the characters a little bit more than that's your dream dad not mine which i have not seen in a movie in a while so that was fun (laughs) versus oh she's a workaholic who's secretly just a sad girl inside but instead I think they kind of substitute it with a lot of those tropes and it seems like they're going through all of them so fast there isn't really time for us to understand why they would potentially fall for each other or the gravity of the situation and yeah I do agree I think the end credit scene worked for me a lot more because we were actually getting to know these people Yeah, they had 90 minutes to teach us anything about them. And then (laughs) they had to just do it in lightning round questions. People might not even watch that part. (laughs) They might have turned it off. (laughs) Me! Because I had to run to the restroom and then appear on this podcast. (laughs) The the credit scene is funny. 
in my, I hate to say it, but it is funny to me. <laughs> I, it kind of works for me. Yeah. <laughs> Betty White and Kevin, where he's barking angrily at the word <laughs> Margaret. Yeah. I saw that part. I wonder how much it's improv and maybe that explains why it's funnier than some of the rest of the movie because I think Ryan Reynolds is kind of a skilled improviser and maybe freed from the script he was able to do some fun things but I'll check the screenplay (laughs) at a later date. I wanted to ask about a sensitive area but I think an interesting one to discuss and that's the matter of age. So at Ryan Reynolds, Sandra Bullock, and Mary Steenburgen, who plays Ryan Reynolds' mom, are all 12 years apart in age in that order. So Sandra is 12 years older than Ryan, and Mary Steenburgen is only 12 years older than Sandra Bullock. And it felt like there was interesting stuff going on around their age gap, but that the movie wasn't acknowledging it or like trying to act like it didn't exist. The only reference to this was when they first get off the little plane in Sitka or the the small town where Ryan Reynolds' character's extremely rich family lives um, from the larger city of Juneau that they're approaching and of course he runs up to his family and Sandra Bullock is being unenthusiastic about the entire situation and still wearing a pencil skirt and being forced to walk at the pace of her four and a half inch heels, stiletto heels. And Betty White looks at her because she's like, oh, who cares about you or whatever? Where's your girl? And then there's a scene where she looks at Sandra Bullock in her professional ponytail and says, oh, well, I suppose girl isn't really the term. And I took it to be about her styling then. Yeah. Because it's a little, again, it's age is always a question. Abby, we're always like, what the hell are <laughs> is supposed to be the ages of these people in these movies? So I look, Sandra Bullock is now, hang on, let me pull up my Google tab. I believe she's 55. She's 55 now. So she would have been 45, right? When this movie came out? I believe so. Yeah, which would have made Ryan Reynolds 33, I think. Uh, Again, we're talking about eggs, little shades of queerness. The, I mean. Yeah, I do think it is refreshing, but I also wonder if it was another screenwriting oversight because it isn't really referenced. Whereas I feel like in a lot of other rom-coms I've seen where, especially when the woman is older, that with their like quote unquote like fertility if they're like cis or why aren't you married yet aren't really touched on and I don't know if they'd already written it before the cast and then talking about like the baby maker when she was in her 40s it almost seemed like kind of they decided to cast Sandra Bullock later or it was nice to not see it mentioned that much and I think it did kind of lean into like their dynamic whether it was the queer reading or kind of like the different power dynamics in the relationship. But I do wonder how much of that was intentional. It would have been weirder if the girl who played, if Malin Ackerman, who played Gertrude with the skinny eyebrows, (laughs) if she was trying to be the boss of him, Mm -hmm. it would have read very differently than if Sandra Bullock was stomping around with her power ponytail and pencil skirt. I feel like she was cast as not being 12 years older than him though. I feel like she was cast as being like two years older than him. And we're just supposed to accept that because Sandra Bullock has perfect skin, we're not supposed to see her as like a woman in her forties. Yeah. Which also would have been interesting 
in terms of the if they'd gone the work versus family route and like how they see those two interacting but Yes, I think it was definitely the good skin. (laughs) And the work and the work. Like, guys, not to be gross about this, but Sandra Bullock's plastic surgeon is incredible. Like, (laughs) whoever does her Botox in 2009, it is subtle. She just looks great and she looks refreshed and her face looks the exact same as her face looked when she was 25 or whatever in Demolition Man. And that's not a thing that happens naturally. But okay. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm glad we've reached the celebrity gossip section of this podcast, because I was instructed, Jen, to ask you about gossip around Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds dating around Ooh, the time of this give me, movie. You guys talk about something else for about 30 seconds and let me refresh myself and I shall return. <laughs> Jen's going to go read up on her literature. (laughs) Yeah, go into the archives. I picture her like walking into a little library off to the side and like pulling a book and it opens a secret chamber full of like printouts. Celebrity gossip library is... I because I feel like I need to school myself. I could definitely do with a library card. Hang on, I'm still Googling. And so I could be incorrect here, but I am pretty sure this was actually around the time that she was legitimately messing with Ryan Gosling, not the Ryan other Gosling. Ryan. No, that was earlier. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, they met in 2002. This wasn't until 2009. I take that back. I, I'm reading that they dated in 2011 after he, he divorced from ScarJo. Damn. Who was married so to ScarJo? they Scar got Joe? together post-ScarJo. Pre- Ryan Reynolds. Oh, that's oh, right. Man. Oh, that's right. We talked about that before. <laughs> it gets me every time. Yeah. Speaking of weddings, I do have to say... There was a joke made about getting married in a barn, but Ryan Reynolds, much better than getting married on a plantation. (laughs) Thank you, Abby, for bringing... Because we do not need to let any episode where Ryan Reynolds is discussed on this podcast pass without... (sighs) Blake, what the fuck? Okay. It's a lot of crimes to answer to. (laughs) He is dated widely. And I think it's interesting (laughs) that his fling with Sandra Bullock happened after this movie. I wonder if this (gasps) was like a seed for a future relationship. We we have to build upon the yearning. It has to turn it to something. That's... Where I was, though, coming back to Ryan Reynolds getting with Blake Lively, who he is now married to, is clearly he wants to be stepped on. Like, that was Blake Lively's choice. I'm sorry, Ryan Reynolds went along with it, but that plantation wedding, you know, like, a very high white satin heel was ground into his chest (laughs) that night after that. Complicit. Complicit. We have now peered deep into the psychosexual consciousness of Ryan Reynolds. Damn, Ryan Reynolds really gets around. I'm also on his Wikipedia page and like he must have fit Sandra Bullock in in like the three month period (laughs) between ending his 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 relationship with ScarJo and then meeting Blake Lively. Oh, but Blake Lively already knew about him, Sadie. She met him when she, I don't know if she dyed her hair or just wore a brunette wig to appear in the truly horrible Green Lantern movie 
that we as yeah, a society yeah. should never let Ryan Reynolds forget that he starred in. I feel like there should be a rom-com adaptation of Ryan Reynolds' romantic journey through Hollywood. <laughs> not played by Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> yeah. Please make somebody, Ryan somebody more charming, less smarmy. <laughs> Yes. Can you imagine? They're like, someone else could be more charming in your life. <laughs> let's have it. Let's have him played by Penn Badgley, who was dumped by Blake Lively for Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> Penn could do better. <laughs> Another question. Besides just having a generally smarmy face and voice and having honed that manner, has Ryan Reynolds had a different haircut in the past 20 years? No. <laughs> No. <laughs> he, um, on the Wikipedia page, it seems the sideburns are slightly more shaven on the main oh, Wikipedia page. Oh. It's all about the side, apparently. Oh, yeah. I see. We, we got to go to details here. I'd say, in general, in like 2003, he got a haircut and he was like, oh, shit, this is it. <laughs> this is this dog this, this is, is it this is it i'm oh. keeping he's stocked up on like a lifetime supply of hair gel and he was like i'm <laughs> fucking set bro <laughs> I, I love that because everyone thinks that after a really good haircut you're like i look so good right now this is the style i'm gonna keep forever and then of course you change your style like every few years with to just keep up with the times but ryan, ryan didn't. just had that feeling once he just doesn't <laughs> have an inner monologue <laughs> I hesitate to take this podcast into the realm of reality, but there's rich you should see the other guy or you should see the other girl possibilities in Ryan Reynolds' love life. Because Oh my god, yes. <laughs> he dated Alanis Morissette and ended uh, up with Blake yep. Lively. Wow. Isn't it ironic? <laughs> Wait, so do we know if he do we have confirmation that him and Sandra dated, or was that more just Google? Oh, it's confirmed. Twenty eleven. Wow. <laughs> Damn. What a loss. A brief fling. I wonder if they reenacted any scenes from the proposal together. I wonder if they role played some. There of was this. only one bed. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think the proposal had some good chemistry that you can feel throughout it like it's not great but there's some scenes like the moments of tenderness are very tender and i really like the scene where they're lying in bed and they're like sharing their secrets it felt very intimate and kind of like you're a fly on the wall to a more real conversation which i enjoyed I like that part about the proposal. Maybe she was really bossy to him on set. And there's kind <gasps> of like a duality here. Because she's definitely the top of the marquee, top of the callist, big name for the proposal in 2009, even though Ryan Reynolds' star was on the rise. And maybe she was really demanding to him on set and as a character. And that just really did it for him. And two years later, yes. dumped ScarJo and came crawling to Sandra Bullock's <laughs> door, ready for some stomping, <laughs> ready to be stepped on, get hit by a truck. I know that's how you 25-year-olds talk about <laughs> loving someone these days. Even on the poster, she's got that engagement ring like up against his throat. <laughs> She's gonna 
scour his neck. <laughs> this movie is softcore secretary. <gasps> the Maggie Gyllenhaal, James Spader movie. Yes. Gender swapped. With more Betty yeah. White. And yeah, a more attempted dog murder and less bridle in the mouth on the desk. Well, how many majestic Alaskan eagles out of five? Would we oh, give? wait a second, Samantha. We're not quite ready yet to rate okay, it because okay. I have another option to float. Okay. So Gertrude, I'm, I'm yours. Gertrude he had his chance, our, our other guy there, and clearly they were not going to go there. But he had another option at the very beginning of this movie. There was a barista named Jasmine. (gasps) She wanted him to call her. Who knew his coffee order, called him to the front of the line. She had it ready, knowing he was late. And she only left him her number then, mm, as Sandra Bullock discovered. I don't even believe that. That I think he should have turned down Sandra Bullock's terrible, coercive offer. I think he should have gone and reported it to HR He should have earned his promotion on his own and he should have walked back to that coffee shop and he should have asked Jasmine, the barista, out on a date. Oh my God, the Hail Mary pass. And she's done (laughs) it, everybody. (laughs) I feel like... By the that point in the movie, I had, of course, like, Jen, you have such an eye for detail. By that point in the movie, I would have forgotten that Jasmine existed. And it would have been like a M. Night Shyamalan-esque twist for, for him to <laughs> go back into the workplace, not propose to Sandra Bullock, and then go back to the Starbucks. Yeah, instead he just walks into Starbucks. And that is like a little bit closer to his life. Like they're located in the same city. She can handle the fast-paced urban environment, but she's not going to coerce him into marriage. He just needs to call her. That would be a good twist. <laughs> it's a happy middle. Yeah, yeah and he can better. finally drink the coffee that he wants to drink. Yeah. Instead of ordering a duplicate of her coffee in case she spills hers or he spills hers. I do love how in another gendered thing, we don't really know that much about him. Like, we don't know what his book is about. We don't know what kind of books he likes to read. We don't know his coffee order. Was that his? I mean, I thought that was a book that he optioned, that it was like somebody else wrote it, but he was trying to get it published because he's trying to move into Sandra Bullock's position. Or was that his book that he wrote? Because I I was kind of a little confused about that. Yeah, I went back and forth. For a while, I thought it was his book. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't make it explicitly clear. They didn't care to. (laughs) Ryan Reynolds has the opposite of a personality of a writer. (laughs) Progressive. I I can't believe him writing a novel. I'm sorry, Ryan Reynolds. I mean, I'm not sorry because we've roasted you in so many other ways on this podcast, but it doesn't seem like he's got a rich enough inner monologue going on to have like a whole novel in him. I don't think we ever see him read in this movie. Yeah. Is there confirmation Definitely that not. Andrew can read? <laughs> he didn't call her, so he didn't read that. Is confirmation that Sandra Bullock can read because she notices his surname all over the businesses around town in Alaska and questions him about it. There is no confirmation that Andrew can read made in this movie. Guilty until proven innocent. He does, in fact, hand his boss at the time, pre-marriage plot Sandra Bullock, the cup that the barista Jasmine gave him with her name 
hey, I'm Jasmine, call me with her phone number written on it, he gives to Sandra Bullock instead of switching cups. They're just symbols to him. <laughs> and he orders duplicates of the same one because he can't read the like Starbucks pre-printed labels. <laughs> This is a tragedy of illiteracy. And now I want to know about this manuscript that Sandra Bullock has accepted at the end of the movie based on Ryan Reynolds' recommendation. <laughs> it should have just been blank. <laughs> it's just like the one from The Shining. Yes. <laughs> oh. Okay, guys. <laughs> How many eagles out of five? All right, Sadie. Rate this movie. Oh, me first. Um. Let's see. Yeah. I give it I give it three I give it three um dog eating eagles out of five. I think as far as as far as rom coms go, especially a two thousand nine rom com, um, which I don't know if we've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I did the facts and figures, and in the United States in two thousand nine they released twenty three rom coms in 2009 wow to a month (laughs) this is the second one that we've covered and based off of the other one the ugly truth this one's got my stamp of approval it's got some problems but i like it i don't mind it i think the chemistry is good i will concur i will give three cell phone snatching alaskan eagles to the proposal it's fun it's got some problems that i can overlook and it's got a kind of all but the kitchen sink approach to romantic comedy making, which doesn't make it cohere very well, but it certainly makes it memorable. And I think you should have picked Gertrude, Malin Ackerman, got a real soft spot for you, and the barista, maybe second place for me. Sandra Bullock, last place, quitting his job. <laughs> Also a top option. Yeah, so I will give also give it three declawed enough to not pierce a puppy eagle. Um, I do, I do think there are interesting readings if you try. Whether or not that was intentionally subverting some of those more problematic tropes, I don't know. I enjoy the yearning. There are about five too many rom com plots going on within it, and the racism and immigration issues not great but yeah i do love a betty white role okay i'm weighing all of the uh, cuz you know i was about <laughs> to give this one uh, a right a, a halfway up the middle because it has really bright points and really good points and it has really bad so i am going to go low compared to you guys and give this movie one sandra bullock out of 5 and say that I propose a new movie with, please, just let us have a movie with Sandra Bullock and Mary Steengarten and Betty White just running around doing shenanigans because that is what a part of this movie so clearly wanted to be. So true. Ocean's yes. 10. Uh, or like wine country, but the Alaska, make it Alaska. <laughs> yes. And then let give... Kevin, the fluffy, tiny white dog, his entire own series of movies in which he narrowly escapes shenanigans based on terrible paramours of people who are responsible for his caretaking. (laughs) I would actually prefer like not enemies to lovers between a really coercive, toxic workplace relationship 
maybe not even enemies to lovers, but like enemies to friendship between Kevin and the eagle. I think could be much better. <laughs> oh, cross species too. Yes, some shape of water. The, the eagle can take the dog home to meet its eagle family and have to tell the other eagles not to eat it. I would watch that series. Yeah, do a little animated series. <laughs> and then I would give this movie a Ryan Reynolds, stay home with your money now. You have given us enough of this character. And <laughs> I think that you should produce things and carry on your faux rivalry with Hugh Jackman and leave us in peace. In the land of romantic comedies. <laughs> I love how much of this podcast has been about Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> well, damn, y'all. <laughs> He's been in our face for a little minute. <laughs> had enough. He was prolific. He was prolific in the 2005 to 2009 era. Not the first Ryan Reynolds rom-com we've covered. Sadly, not the last. We will be back for you, Ryan. <laughs> We have feedback on our podcast. You should see the other guy from Sharon. We love you. You have written in before. Sharon writes us that Sadie's point about how there was less division between serious film and genre film at the time that Moonstruck, which we discussed in our last episode, was made, basically made that movie. And Sharon is unsure that we would see a film as amazing as Nicolas Cage and his bread monologue at this time in history. And I personally do quite agree with her. Andrew, our boy Andrew, also did a bad movie Sunday. The Ugly Truth. And also gasp at the terrible hot air balloon effects at the end of the movie. Damn, Andrew. And then you went way farther than I did and watched the alternative endings and realized it could have been worse. And I will take Andrew's word on this because Jesus Christ, it could have been worse than it was presented to us already. Andrew's husband disagrees and thinks that the version of the movie we presented was the worst as is and could not even be worse than it was. And Andrew and Andrew's husband, I agree with both of you. I will never watch the alternative endings to The Ugly <laughs> Truth. Sadie, did you go and see them after we talked to Carolyn about it? No, I couldn't bring myself to do it. I, If I had had to see Gerard Butler on screen looking like that for one more second, I would have vomited. <laughs> Not to be dramatic, so it was a pass for me. Abby, have you two been traumatized by the ugly truth? I'm too afraid to learn what the ugly truth is. Not just like- Stay pure. Yeah. (laughs) Stay unsullied by this, Abby. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, Sorry, I was taking some time to hold my head in my hands. Don't watch the ugly truth, guys. But do listen to our podcast about it. Cautionary tale. (laughs) And we ran a poll on our Twitter account which you should follow at Y-S-S-T-O-G for you should see the other guy to ask if you are the underappreciated assistant to a New York City book editor who wants to marry you so she can keep her job. Do you fall for your boss, Sandra Bullock, your ex, Malin Ackerman, or no one? Quit your job. And overwhelmingly, before recording the episode, you guys voted for Go Hit on the Barista. 
and quit this hideous job that you are trapped in somehow. Woo. Run away and be free, Ryan Reynolds. Sandra Bullock only got 11% of the vote. <laughs> and I honestly feel a little bad. She had a hot power ponytail. I got to give her that. But again, as we've established, you probably want to be her. You don't want to do her and support her emotionally. Abby, you have forever changed my understanding of the proposal. And for that, I am eternally grateful. <laughs> Thank you. That's the best compliment I've gotten all all year, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) And we have received a request for the movie Party Girl, starring Parker Posey from 1995, in which a writer would like us to make a case for Leo over Mustafa. With the quote, I know Party Girl is a buildingsroman, not a rom-com. But whatever. So, dear reader, we shall consider honoring that. And we are now on Apple Podcasts and Twitter. And we have a Gmail account where you can write to us with requests and comments. And we will read them on air at the end of the podcast because we love you. At Gmail, we are Y-S-S-T-O-G podcast at gmail.com. On Twitter, we are at Y-S-S-T-O-G. And Samantha has written to me to add, rate us five stars on Apple Podcast. Subscribe to us on Spotify, etc., etc. But yeah, you'll want to help us get more people to listen to us, right? So rate us five stars on Apple Podcast. And Abby, where can people keep up with your work? So I will be writing on insider.com and then I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Abby E. Montiel. I will be on the lookout for the article about the hidden queer reading of the proposal. I'm sure it's very pressing and timely. We planted the seed. We will see the harvest. (laughs) Sweetie, we're not under any illusions that you two don't sleep in the same bed. So (laughs) he'll sleep in here with you. Oh, great, because we'd we'd love to snuggle, don't we? Huge snugglers. (laughs) 